Okay. So it's uh, Amy Vertries and one of the uh, coaches here at the, the Common Thread, and we're here for our book club. I'm really glad you guys are here. This, this is a really great book. This is actually not my, I did not choose this book. You know, I didn't choose this book. Um, actually, Kelly, who's actually on her way in, Kelly chose the book and I was like, trauma? I don't have any trauma in my life. And, you know, I was just um, talking to uh, one of you guys about the um, this quiz that was in there. So they talk about like your trauma score, whatever. I forgot what it was called. And my, my score is like zero. And it's, you know, things like, were you, um, did you witness like violence in your home? Was there alcohol? You know, honestly, it was like zero trauma. But I've gotten so much out of this book um, just because there's, um, I think we're just exposed to all this trauma all the time. Um, I, I'll tell you the one thing that really resonated with me. Um, and that was, we see this a lot too. Do you ever like walked in the hall and you see someone who like really frustrates you or something like that. And you feel like, you know, you get that feeling like that, just that autonomic response of like your face getting, you know, flushed or, you know, the shoulders getting tight. And, and it's interesting because when he talked about because he's a, um, Dr. Perry is a um, good child psychologist. He's an MD, PhD. And so what was interesting is that he talked about how the signals that we have go through our primitive brain first. They go to the primitive brain first. And so like all of these responses, like we are constantly scanning and interacting with our, our environment with our primitive brain first. Um, and, you know, before we can kind of reach the cortex of our reasoning, which is, you know, where our beliefs and our, um, you know, our higher level thinking goes. And so it makes a lot of sense that you have this, you know, primitive response to a lot of things before we can, you know, so, um, when you start reacting to someone who's walking in the hall and you're like, gosh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I ever like overcome this? Um, you know, I talk to people about, how to kind of overcome that automatic um, autonomic response of having like visualizations of things like, you know, the person walking down the hall that bothers you is like, you know, just like the seeing the, the um, people in the uh, audience, like sitting in their underwear. Like if you're walking in the hall and you picture this person and like this, like get up, you know, the clown is my favorite, you know, like the big wig, the, the, the nose, the, you know, once you kind of like train your autonomic response to respond to that, then you like immediately take over the threat before it can kind of reach the cortex. So I really liked how this book kind of talked about that aspect um, to explain why we feel a little helpless sometimes in some interactions. Um, I'm going to stop there because I have some more points, but what do you think, Kelly? Kelly's joined us. Hi. Uh, I finished this book today, and the, the second half of it, I thought, was very riveting. Oprah's story is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, her story, her story about not knowing how to tuck a kid in. I, I'm sure there's probably people who haven't read it. What do you, why don't you share yeah. it? Yeah. So, Oprah was filming, uh, filming a movie. And she was playing somebody's mom or grandma and the director said tuck the kid in in the bed and she started putting the sheets down around the mattress and he's like no tuck the kid in and she started putting the sheets like straightening the sheets around the bed and he said cut and then she was like i don't know what tucking a kid in means and it like it struck her like she had never never received that amount of love. And the story, the book kind of goes through her having an, and her mom not present for the first six years and her kind of adult relationship with her mom. And it's like, that was, that blew my mind. I really, the other part of that, of the book that really spoke to me is like, 
they talk a, l- a little bit, a little bit about self-care at the end. And, how, you know, I think the conversation right now is like, is it selfish? Do we have time? But I don't have time and kind of this thing we chew on for self-care. And when it gets down to like the neuroscience, the brain and the body and what actually regulates our body is rhythmic movement, repetitive movement. And what came to my mind is like this Peloton craze that everybody's kind of going through right now of like it, Peloton's truly a rhythmic movement that gets you to sweat and gets your endorphins up. And I'm like, no wonder why Peloton's totally taking off. And also it's a, yeah. And yeah, the community that goes along with Peloton right now, I'm like, it meets two of the criteria for like staying neurally regulated is like a repetitive rhythmic thing and a way to basically share community. So I was like, yeah, Peloton nailed it. I think it's where the Facebook groups come in too, right? I mean, this is this the community. Um, and the other thing that I, you know, kind of posted as well were um, the things that uh, that really struck me were like how we like venting. You know, I vent all the time, um, and I didn't realize how like actually healing that was. I mean, it's like purposefully, and it was really like the going to the trauma that you have and approaching it in a way that you can control it, and you know allowing it to heal a little bit, you know, and, and just little snippets of it too, that where the value is in all these things, you know, all the time, rather than, you know, sitting down and necessarily like spending a ton of time on, yeah. um, is to just kind of pause and say like, all right, well, we'll just kind of like approach it for a little bit and then kind of go from there. I really like that because like, I've often thought like, why do I feel so much better after I just like vented about something? You know, and it's like, oh, there's like a neurobiological basis to that. It's not just, you know, it, again, it always comes down to I mean, I'm not unique, right? Like, we're not unique. This is just the way our bodies and the way we've evolved. And yeah, and that made a lot of sense to me. I, I liked a lot how we talked about as a society, we all have very short tempers right now because we aren't regulated. Um, and I see that day in and day out. And just my employees at work, they'll be like, what's wrong with patients these days? Like everybody's just unhinged all the time. And to be able to see it as like, man, everybody's coping skills. We, we don't work on our coping skills, right? And like people just are, they, they don't give anybody grace. But I yeah, think they, I they address that at the end of the book. I see I can get that picture. So this is there like that regulate, relate and reason. And they show like this, like next to each other about how like there's that, that pyramid where you're like, it goes to the, the lower brain stem, then you can regulate yourself. And that's where most people are like not regulated. You know, that's when you, you know, feel like the rage and the uncontrollability and you're, you know, if you feel like your situation is uncontrolled, um, you know, so you're not, you're not regulated. So then for, then you can't relate and then you can't reason, but we sit there and try to reason with people are dysregulated all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's how that goes, right? <laughs> that's like, you know, like, I think as doctors, we try, we try to like talk through it. And what this book says is like, talking is not gonna get you anywhere when people are just like dysregulated and really just letting them, again, letting them vent, letting them ha- acknowledging just where they're at. It works better than trying to be like, logically, I have the plan, you need to listen to it. Mm-hmm. I thought the other thing in the whole like community and holding space is like the power of room one, co- the coaching group is like, it's literally a space to come together to be with other people who understand what your life is. And I was like, that's what we've created. Mm -hmm. That's why it's resonating so much. 
Yeah. And I think because you know, it's the relating part of it too. It's you know, like approaching your trauma, like whatever trauma that is, you know, in a little bit of a safe way and, you know, kind of working through it so you can, you know, then really kind of talk through it, I think was the most helpful part. Um, I really liked that the, the, the co-author Bruce Perry was like, I don't really like the term trauma informed. <laughs> and I was like, great. Cause I have no idea what it even means. And like, people just throw it around. Like everybody should know what it means. And the fact that he was kind of like, yeah, it doesn't actually like mean anything specifically. It's just a different way of understanding stuff. I was like, oh, well, if the guy who's writing the book is saying that, okay. Cool. Well, I mean, can we relate to this too? Like someone comes up with a term, like, you know, uh, for something like, let's say like coaching. And so then everyone's like, well, it just means this. I'm like, no, it actually doesn't mean that, <laughs> you know, or, you know, it's like you have this term that means something to you, but it means something completely different to other people. Um and so I'm sure it probably frustrates the heck out of him. Yeah. The floor is open. Who wants to talk? Y'all know Kelly not enough that, you know, we could talk this whole time. <laughs> That's not I thought problem. it was interesting that when he looked at the brainstem, he assigned a number to like the IQ that when you're operating at the lower brainstem, your IQ is low. And then if you go to the cortex, it's high. And I thought a lot about how we train residents. And so if we train them in this fear-based way, we're like allowing them to access an IQ of like 50 <laughs> instead of opening up the floor, which is the point of like reaching the cortex when we're working through surgical problems. And so I'm like, all we're teaching them to do is to lie, to form some type of base level reaction, as opposed to using our, our highest power, our, our cortex. How do you think that we should change? What do you think would be the, the difference? I think it has to come in multiple levels, but I think one of the ways would be, for example, at M&M, trying to reevaluate it less from a place of, you did this wrong, this is, you know, you're an idiot. Um, and more from a place of, we all make mistakes. This is a mistake that can happen to any of us. Let's mm -hmm. think about how we can start preventing these mistakes. Let's think about how we need to critically change the, the pathway leading to this mistake um, and learn from it as opposed to just <laughs> setting everything on fire. <laughs> well, I, mean, I guess it's really just like making the environment safe, right? You know, that Dr. Perry pointed out the fact that like, in, in the human span, like 99.9% .9 has been in the hunter gatherer clan stage. <laughs> and so, you know, in some ways, like if we go to M&M and it's not safe, then you can't even get to like the regulated part. Well, then of course you can't relate or, or access those. You know, it's interesting. Um, like when you mentioned that too, because um, I, I thought about like in training, but also even now, I mean, I just had like a really rip roaring, awful like time of, of like unsustainable pace of work, you know, lots of difficult problems. You know, I think we're all seeing like, so people are so much more acutely ill um, and then all the pressures with COVID and all these other things too. And I kind of just felt like off. I, I don't know, just like a really difficult time, even like making sense of different things, like making terrible food choices. I'm not even sure I'm hungry anymore. Am I hungry? I don't know. You know, it's just, it was interesting. Cause I kind of like thought about this whole, like, am I just kind of like living in this deregulated, um, uh, you know, place that I can't reach the, the higher level aspects of it too. And I wonder how much of that, you know, certainly in training, but also even some of the 
um, what we do to ourselves as far as like a little bit of overworking um, hurts us a lot in the long run. I think it definitely comes from our ability to stay in survivor mode for so long. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I definitely feel that too, that when I don't do my core measures of getting outside and seeing nature, spending time with people that I care about, then I feel like everything's off. And then I do the same thing. I go back to the old habits of just eating trash food, <laughs> of totally dissociating, which apparently is a trauma response, which I had never linked the two before reading this book. Um, so I think that that's an interesting thing to pull also is that dissociation is a trauma response. Mm -hmm. We covered that in the, the first book, I think it was the first book club book we ever had, um, which is, you know, uh, burn out the secret to unlocking the stress cycle to where it was the fight, flight and play dead. <laughs> um, but the dissociation thing was really interesting um, because, you know, it was absolutely true too. He said, you know, dissociation is necessary for higher achieving too. Like our ability to kind of like withdraw from the situation and dream a little bit um, was it's a stress response, but we can also, you know, found it necessary. And he actually attributed that to why Oprah is probably so successful because of her ability to dissociate from, um, different things, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. yeah they did a nice job at the end of the book, basically saying like, it's, it can, this can be your superpower. It's what sets you up. Your experience is what sets you apart. It's, the lesson you got to learn from that, what are you gonna do with it? Which I thought was a very empowering thing instead of wallowing and like, you can't actually change the past. You can't go back. You can't unsuffer that trauma, but it's the story you develop from it and, and the good you can do, I thought was very helpful um, for I think a lot of people. Yeah, I like this quote here too, when he talks about the, the pattern of stress activation, because I think we all know that that stress can empower you. It can move you forward. I mean, like we purposely, like we're all high achievers here. We've like experienced some stress that has moved us forward. But I like this thought where like ultimately for, for far too many people, the pattern of stress activation is unpredictable, uncontrollable, prolonged, or extreme. And I kind of think this is why we're dealing with a little bit of this now. I mean, especially this like second wave of COVID, you know, it's like it now, you know, we had a vaccine, it was supposed to work. And now this really is unpredictable. You know, it really is uncontrollable because we feel like, I, mean, I don't, me personally, I feel like we just can't change people's mind. And then prolonged and extreme, I mean, it feels that way where people can't find jobs, you know, we can't find beds. Um, I think that this is the part that I think some of us are having is just this, that pattern of stress activation is just like completely like whacked out, not predictable, just nuts. My personal thoughts. I don't know if y'all are dealing with this too. That part, I, I don't have an answer quite to, except just realizing that I guess we're all just running around a dysregulated state. You can see that in patients too. I mean, I think just like Kelly said before, you know, like people just acting in extreme ways where you're like, this just, it's just wacky. Yeah, I liked it again. At the, the second half of the book to me was where all the where all the money is. But he talked a lot about he he talked specifically about helping the helpers, and he was saying like it's not just the traumatized child, but it's the people caring for the traumatized child that you have to also help. And I'm like, that's what healthcare I think is not getting right now. To me, I'm like, if there was a a big healthcare organization that cared specifically for the doctors and nurses, 
it would be like so hard to get a job there because people would never quit. I'm like, that company could just win if they put the caregivers at first. And I think instead we've snowballed into like the patient's always right. You're, you're bad if you have a, a bad outcome. You're just a failed doctor. Like we've really, I, I destroyed is a strong word, but I'm like, we've really destroyed the caregivers. Um, and knowing that that's, and I think another reason that Amy and me and Jess started room one is like, I'm here for the surgeons, man. Like they're the ones who can take care of the patients. I'm here for the surgeons at this point because the, the environments they're working in isn't helping them. And of course, like overeating, we all know how to do that for a stress response and overworking. We know how to do that for a stress response, but like we think the exercise and the being in community is like this extra like fluff that's unnecessary. And yet we, we feel so broken. So I, I to me, I'm like, I love this book. This book is fantastic. Yeah, I really like so much was was helpful in that. Um, I really liked um, the part, you know, there, it went into people pleasing a little bit too. I posted this in, in the common thread where Oprah said like one of her superpowers of overcoming people pleasing was her power of intention. And she said, you know, and it's basically what we talked about before, about deciding ahead of time. Like when you go into any kind of interaction and, you know, she just kind of decided this is what I'm going to, um, you know, this is what I'm going to base my decisions on. You know, this is how I'm going to decide. And so when something comes up against that um, and someone asks for something like, well, you know, does this fulfill the intention that I have? And if it doesn't, then, you know, she created those boundaries just by her defining what her intentions were. Um, I really like that part too, because I know a lot of us struggle with people pleasing of trying to do everything for everyone. Um, I I like that part too. I think Carrie talked about this a little bit. Oh, sorry. What's that? I don't know if I was talking over someone, but we may have talked about this a little bit, but I mean, what just blew my mind is that it can be a trigger you're not even aware of, like the deodorant with the teacher, and then all of a sudden your cortex is cut off. So like that kid didn't mean to be a bad kid. It was just, it was just cut off. And so maybe I missed this in the book, but what I didn't really get is, I mean, he talks about someone about his, um, his therapy um, programs where we have to start at the bottom and he talks about rhythm and he talks about connection, but I didn't really get, how do you like stop that, that reaction, like that cutoff, you know, I mean, cause they had the teacher not wear that deodorant, but it's still going to cause that trigger in that kid. You know what I mean? So what I didn't get from the book was how do we like undo those triggers in ourselves, you know? Hmm. What do you think? My, my thought on that, yeah. Well, sorry, you go, Amy. You go. Oh no, yeah. Did so you, I mean, did you have a thought? I, got, I got a little bit of it. Like, I mean, we all know about. Probably have heard of was it EMDR? I know there's therapies of that where you like do the you like think about these things, then you do the rhythms. Or have you guys ever heard of tapping? Mm-hmm. You know, emotional freedom technique. I think that's maybe where some of those come in yeah. to play. And then I know the whole like small therapeutic doses and the connections I got out of that too. You know, I think can help help people but it's just amazing to me that sometimes our um, cortex can be completely cut off we're not even aware of it and we're behaving you know (laughs) I don't think like a like a desensitizing or you know rewiring that association or something like that is the only thing I but you know not a psychiatrist yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it it is interesting that how someone figured that out in the first place you know Um, yeah 
I remember, you know, I also remember like my pediatrics, this is a pretty obvious connection, you know, like walking in as a medical student in the white coat and the kid starts bawling and like pediatrics sucks. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But you can imagine like what those kids are going through, you know, and those are the ones that are overt. And so like how, how often are these things happening that we're, you know, setting people off and not knowing. As I was going through this book, because it's taken me a month to read it, I, uh, I'm a lot more aware of my patients' trauma with the healthcare system in general. Uh, I had a patient who had had not great experiences, chronic pelvic pain, had a very bad uh, other group experience, and she came to me and like she was she was clearly dissociated. She's like, I just want this problem fixed, and. As I'm reading this book and seeing her at the same time, like she's been traumatized by the healthcare system. I'm part of the healthcare system, right? So like making that connection with her of like, I'm part of what you are now like thinking is a complete waste of your time. So acknowledging my patient's trauma of the system that I work in is a new insight that I don't think I had before. So, Kelly, I think what you're bringing up to to answer Amy Sella's question is awareness. So awareness is the first step. It's the first step for you to recognize when somebody else is in trauma, and it's the first step for you to recognize when something has triggered you, when you have that awareness of, I'm not really showing up the way I wanted to. And I think as we practice awareness, we can interrupt that um, sequence earlier. Maybe not the next time it happens, you know, you still react, but maybe by the third or fourth time, you can recognize, oh yeah, the last couple of times I was in this situation, here's what happened. So you're a little more aware going in that you might be reactive. I think this is where the challenge comes in is like, you know, most of the thought model we talk in talks about, you know, the cortex, is this thought true? Can we question it? Um, and I think this, what this book brings up is that there is all the stuff underlying that happens before you even hit the cortex, the thought model, these, these thoughts that you can control. Um, and that's where, and I guess, you know, um, what Victoria's, I guess is saying is that like, you know, okay, so we, we get it and then we go back and then we can kind of relate it, um, you know, because we plan ahead of time, potentially how to react. Yeah, I guess practicing and creating that space, because I mean, I, I think about um, Oprah until she said she finally made that connection between the cans on her doors and that that school where they wouldn't lock the doors. I mean, I don't know. That's crazy to me. I don't know if I would have gotten that in my own life. You know what I mean? So I, I think it takes a lot of, of practice and doing that with your life, because I, I can say for sure I live my life at 100 miles per hour. I think I've gotten better than that at, at that. But I don't even know that I would think to stop and think about it. I think I would better now than I would have a couple of years ago, but. For those who did read the book, I mean, it's really fascinating. Um, the situation she said, you know, Oprah had like the hardest time sleeping and especially sleeping alone. And she would um, actually even go and somewhere else to sleep because she couldn't figure out what her sleeping problem was. And it went back to when she was um, with her um she was with her grandmother who, um, whose husband was battling dementia. And so he was in the other room and he, um, she witnessed him like coming in and strangling her or trying to strangle her. And so the grandmother adapted by, you know, locking the door and putting cans on the door. So if the door was rattled, they would wake up to cans. And so she kind of learned from early on that, that sleeping was not safe. Um, 
which is, you know, kind of an interesting insight because you wouldn't necessarily put two and two together until you really thought about it um, or had someone bring out and ask, you know, that, that same question of like, what happened to you rather than avoiding that kind of judgmental, what's wrong with you? Because I mean, how many times we tell ourselves what's wrong with us? You know, we do something and like, gosh, you know, I mean, I did, I, this week I've done it. <laughs> what's wrong with me? You know, like, why can't I figure all this out? Um, and then when you kind of trace back to it, it's like, we've had a really hard week and, you know, we've, I was feeling like a little dysregulated. I kind of like that word now, you know, so where nothing really felt like normal. I mean, I, I literally couldn't, couldn't identify like sleep, wake, hunger cycles, you know, it, it all just felt like foreign, which is the strangest thing. Um, but it made a little bit more sense in kind of recognizing yeah. it was working at a bit of an unsustainable pace for a while. And I've got a pretty easy life. I can only imagine, like, I, I worry a lot about the kids that we're raising now in isolation and with this fear of masks. I think if we had kind of like embraced it all together and made it fun and it was costumes and stuff, I think that it wouldn't necessarily affect kids as much as it's going to now to where you're wrong if you're wearing it, you're wrong if you're not wearing it. Um, and, you know, just sticking these people in isolation. And I can't remember if it was this book or someone, another one where they talked about how, you know, this crisis this this global pandemic is is further dividing the like the haves and the have-nots you know those that that don't have the resources are now going to be further split because you know they don't have the ability to get tutors you know they don't have like the resilience of, of maybe a community um, and so that part makes me really fearful for what's coming Hey, Amy, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, Jess. Hi. Just got done traumatizing a child in the OR, so this is great. Speaking of overworking and, and dysregulation, how are you doing? Jess has been on call this weekend. Oh, I'm fine. I'm on call. Fine. Fine. I love the term dysregulation, too, because to me, it just has so much less judgment associated with it. It's almost like just kind of assessing your state of equilibrium and um, are you in equilibrium or not? It just seems so much less judgy to me. Um, but yeah, I just had a patient with a complication. So this is timely because my stress activation system was definitely alerted. I had a patient with a post-op infection come in today. It's like my infection rate is like less than 1% for this procedure. So the last time I had um, washed a kid out for this sort of thing has been like four years ago. And you just start to like, I don't know, just, I think you can kind of spin out a little bit. And after having read this book, I just understand so much better my own nervous system. And I can also communicate so much better with people who are experiencing stress, like these parents and the child and I don't know, it's good stuff. I think we can all understand that part. Jess, can you share with can you share with us? Maybe it's too soon, but share with us what you're learning because you're you're specifically going into trauma informed as far as bringing that into your coaching. Can you kind of share like I am share that journey so far? Yeah, I, I sure can. Let me just plug you into my um, car. Hang on. 
Okay, can you hear me now? We can hear you. Can you hear me now? Okay, super. Got to get my Apple CarPlay going. Um, okay, so can you still hear me? We can hear you. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so we've only had one class so far. It's just an introduction. And um, what I've, I've really like, feel like I've really truly found uh, something that I'm really called to, which is the most exciting thing. Um, and I'm putting together the like story of my whole life kind of like in retrospect and things are making a whole lot more sense. Um, so the first class was basically just going over our syllabus. But what I realized is, is that I came to coaching because of chronic stress and burnout and just kind of like this zombie-like existence where I was really sort of empty. And um, what I realized now is that was just a primary stress response. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool to think, okay, well, that's what your body is supposed to do. Like that's, it's supposed to keep you alive. It's supposed to function that way. And we have so much stigma around all of these issues, particularly in medicine and in surgery. And, and now I feel like these ideas about ourselves, about how we are living with this extraordinary amount of stress, even people who are doing well in surgery are still dealing with really oddly large levels of stress, taking care of other human beings and having the responsibility that we have is enough to do it. And um, I've been thinking a lot about this term recovery. You know, we say the recovery room or I'm in recovery. And I was like, what does that actually mean? And recovery means to like regain something that you've lost or something that was stolen. Um, or it could mean return to a, a quote unquote normal state of health and mind, body, spirit, or something like that. Like if you Google what recovery actually means, and I'm like, yes, that's it. This is all about recovery. It's all about like regaining those parts of ourselves like that have been lost to this journey that we all wanted to take. And I feel like there are these, like we're casualties to a certain degree, but that um, it's, I mean, it's worth it. Like we, Like I love being a surgeon, I love, that I can do this. I love that I have these skills, but I also think that it's important to recognize it came at a price and that's okay. It's just the price is your body doing what it's supposed to do to keep you safe. And we don't need to make that a bad thing, but I do think we should recognize it and learn from it and learn how to be better to ourselves and learn how to change the culture. So maybe we don't have to continue to work in such a, I don't know, quagmire. Anyway, so that was kind of a little bit of verbal diarrhea for you. But uh, what I realized is the syllabus alone tells me that we're going to have quite a bit of uh, in-depth training on how to recognize and treat uh, people that have had all kinds of different traumatic experiences. And what's exciting about it is that it's really differentiated from therapy. 
in that therapy, there's more of a power differential, kind of like you would expect between a doctor and a patient. And this coaching is more of an equal exchange where there is this holding of the space for another human being and allowing them to kind of go on their journey and come into their own with kind of this safe space or this supportive atmosphere that the coach can create. So it's much more reciprocal and even and no power differential, which I'm really loving. Um, and that's how coaching should be anyway, but you know, we don't talk too much about that. I'm going to just like wax poetic about it. Is there like a specific <laughs> question that you have? Well, you know, I kind of like that, that the, um, I think we probably should explain holding space a little bit. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting, like the, what is the difference between like the, the therapist and the coach and the friend and, you know, what, what holding space is, is, you know, just the ability to kind of like dump out what's in your mind and take a look at it, you know? Um, and it's not like having to interact with someone else and worry about what they think, which is what you do like with family and friends is, you know, you're not worried about what they're going to think of you. You really just want to kind of explore how you're thinking um, and do that in a safe space. And, and of course, you know, when you start doing that, you start realizing what's like, what we're actually thinking, we're terrible to ourselves. We're so mean and, and just judgmental. And, um, and so when you like dump out your, your true thoughts, you know, it's kind of hard to, to do that in someone where you're you know worried about how they're, what they're going to think about you. And what holding space is, is like, all right, just tell me all the things. Let's talk about it. Just dump it all out. <laughs> dump it all out. Let's just sort through it and see what's true and what's not true. And let's like pick out the one that's going to help. And we'll go from there. Um, but trauma, I think, you know, kind of triggers that shame aspect of it too, which where we kind of like, there's the guilt of, of things that happen and the, the shame that, that causes that to hide. Because I think our, our when our autonomic you know, responses like kicked off, whether it's the fight, flight, or play dead, you know, we're triggered to hide under the bed, which is not to go out and share things. And, and so it kind of worsens and um, accelerates the trauma. I think Rachel was saying that too, where we kind of like withdraw and, you know, don't, don't seek other people out. My own just. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I also was really excited. There was this interesting term that the main, um, so the leader of this, she's, she has a master's degree in clinical social work and she's got all these different degrees and stuff like that, but she got out of the therapeutic stuff and she's, she has a really traumatized past herself. Um, like it's a lot of like intense sexual abuse within her primary household um, when she was a child, but she actually got out of this therapeutic relationship between like therapy patient and got into coaching because she felt it was more powerful to offer that exchange and you could like freely, um, it just is, the way she described it was more of like a free, like back and forth where like the, the client is learning from the coach and the coach is learning from the client. They're like working, we're working it together, so to speak. Um, and then she was talking about this concept called executive functioning. And I know I'd heard it before and I'd read about it before. I'm sure we'd like learned about it in neurology and stuff, but I went back and I, cause she kept saying, uh, she kept like zoning out a little bit and she would comment on her executive functioning and how, she still has trouble from time to time with that because of everything she had been through. 
So I went back and looked that up and it's really interesting. So if you guys Google executive functioning, there are all these like higher order brain things that the cortex does like planning and um, you know, all the intentional stuff, like reading, for example, like if you sit down to read and say you're going to read a journal article, well, if you're in trauma or have in a trauma response, it can impact the way your executive functioning is working. So you won't be able to like sit and concentrate and read. And that happens to me all the time where I'll sit down and I'll try to read something and I just can't do it. And um, I never even thought that maybe it was connected to that. And so now she said, you know what, if, if, cause somebody asked, do we have to read, there are like five required textbooks on trauma that we have to read. And um, she said, you know, if it's, if your executive functioning is not working, then just listen, just buy, get the audio book and listen. Cause it's a lot easier for people that have trouble with that to listen than it is to read. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't, it was like such a light bulb. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're trying to like read an article and literally it takes me like an hour and a half because I read the same line like 67 times. Um, but my plan with this was to actually try to share as much as I can on our uh, Facebook group as I go through it, because I'm going to um, just, I don't know, it's just going to, I think, really, really help to have some form of like trauma recovery for surgeons, even if you haven't been through major abuse, like they talk about in this book club review. It's like people who have any sort of reaction to whatever the stimulus was, and you can't know what that is. Traumatic experience is defined so broadly. Yeah, I think that we could actually ask, I know if everyone is like um, opportunity for your chat, do you feel kind of traumatized? You'll feel free to just put it in the chat, like, yeah, kind of, no. <laughs> I'm interested to see what y'all think. Um, this is a bit of a poll. Well, I for sure am. Like, I'll tell you right now, like, I had a traumatic childhood. Um, my, I'll tell everybody, because, like, I'm just putting this all together retrospectively. Um, and I think the reason why I turned out, like, so freaking functional is that my mom, so my dad brought the chaos and my mom was the anti-chaos. She was like the antidote to everything. And she, she like, just like Bruce Perry describes in the book, like if you have positive relationships that help a child regulate their nerv nervous system and kind of get wired up in a way that they can function. My brother and I turned out pretty dang functional, but my dad, so my dad was closeted my whole life. And he came out when, um, when I was in college, I was trying to get in, I was taking the MCATs and stuff at that time. And he was so abusive to my mom. He was mean and verbal and uh, not as much physically, although they kind of had a few times that were pretty stressful. But our house was like, um, like a pressure cooker. Like at any moment, you felt like things were just going to explode. So I adopted the role being perfect so that I could, because he, everything I did, he loved. So I felt like it was my responsibility to keep everything kind of contained and okay. And my brother, so I could do no wrong and my brother could do no right. And so he was really abusive to my brother verbally. Um, and 
the the fact of the matter is is he's just a fucking miserable guy because he's living he's not able to live like in his truth and it just brought chaos into our house well my mom she just is like a typical tiger parent she just I mean, not in like the traditional sense of tiger parents, like maybe I should say mama bear. Um, she just protected us and she kept everything as stable as she could. Almost, I judged her like my whole life. I thought she was such a martyr. I was like, get a fine woman. And now I see that it took a fucking fine to stay in our household and keep us protected and to keep us, you know, to keep, to keep kind of, the order that she kept. So, um, like now I can look back on that and kind of understand things in such a different light and not be so angry about everything and just understand too, that I have an opportunity to work on myself, become the truest version of myself. So I don't pass this generational stuff to my daughter, which I'm sure is inevitable to a certain degree, but, um, Hopefully it'll be much less. So yeah, I think that's where I came. And and then you heap on like medical training on top of that. That's just like probably at least chronic stress, if not tra- trauma, you know, with chronic stress, like punctuated, you know? Yeah, I think, I think Victoria and Julia uh, said it the best where, you know, like we didn't realize we're traumatized until, you know, just like when I start off with the intro that you know, I didn't pick this book, Kelly did. I think, ah, well, you know, I don't think I'll read this one. And <laughs> like got into it like, oh, well, I think we're all traumatized in, in ways that we weren't really necessarily realizing. Um, I kind of like the, the idea when they're, um, I posted this as well, when they talked about the whole idea of, you know, therapy. And honestly, I think coaching too, is that when you're starting to like develop your new ideas about stuff, I mean, you have like your two-way dirt road and like, uh, like you Jess is that, you know, how you grew up is not, is knowing that you don't necessarily have to go on that two road, like two lane dirt road all the time. You can build like the superpower highway right next to it, but that old road's always going to be there. I think the the reason I kind of like that too, is that you're not really erasing what's happened before. You're sort of like living with it, knowing that there's a new path. But I think we also, it wasn't really stated in the book was that sometimes we end up back on that dirt road path. Um, and, you know, that happens too, I think. It is, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I like how this ties in with the coaching that we do through, you know, through the model. It's like the whole purpose isn't to scrub your brain clean of negative thinking. It's not, it's not to like get toxically positive. It's like to just notice what, what's actually happening and then choosing, right? Like, am I going to choose the dirt road or am I going to choose the super highway? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I choose the dirt road and it's totally fine. It's fine to be on that road, but sometimes I want to choose the super highways. I don't need to be mad at the dirt road. Like I was so resistant to all of it. I was like angry at it. And, and then you just get, you punish yourself really but now you can be like yeah like I can take that I can be on that road that's okay it's not I don't know if it's making sense but mm-hmm. it's just it gives you more power you know I like the, the idea where um they kind of and that gets a little bit into like the worldview idea you know um how they mentioned you know, because I think the, the, what I really liked this book is that it also gave a little bit of hope too. like, you know, rather than saying, well, you know, and you're a kid and, and you know, you're going to have all these problems, um, how we talked about worldview 
Um, and he said, you know, the way to, to move on is, is your worldviews is modified, expanded, clarified, and solidified. And so changing the worldview um, is, is helpful. And I think that's where these communities kind of help is, is really helping to, to change the worldview. And I really like, this came early in the book, the example of in the airport, flights are canceled. You know, there's this irate, um, irate passenger and like the little kid goes up and everyone's like, oh no, here it comes. He's going to make the kid cry, you know, because everyone's assuming that he's going to put his worldview onto the kid. And the irony of it is, is that she like out of sheer persistence said, no, 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 you're going to see the world through my eyes, which is everything is just fine. Um, and it was interesting, like the, like the approach to worldview, it's like, it really is all the thoughts that we tell ourselves. It was a really nice stark example of same experience, two different, two different outcomes. You actually can influence it. It doesn't necessarily have to be the negative view winning is that you can have someone positively come in and really shape your, your worldview and expand it and, and solidify it in positive ways um, when we're aware of it. I also think the other thing that Jess brings up is that element of self-compassion. So instead of having the self-judgment and you go down the dirt road of I'm terrible, you have that self-compassion of, oh yeah, I'm down the dirt road and I'm down here for these reasons. And, and you know, it's understandable. And when you give yourself that compassion, I think it's a lot easier to get off the dirt road. Mm -hmm. I like, I like how Corinne cried. I was listening to her coaching earlier today and she calls it that old shitty thoughts coming back. <laughs> There's old shitty again. <laughs> I just love her, but it's, 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 it's you true. Really acknowledge it. It's, it's so true. Like if, if the purpose of the human brain is to just make sense of the world, it's like, of course, sometimes it's going to make shitty sense. I mean, it just makes sense that way to me. Like, of course, we're not robots. So yeah, I'm not sure who was just talking, but that, that's absolutely correct. Like if you just feel like, yep, I'm on, I'm on the dirt road today, no problem. It's not a problem. And I think that, you know, this is a really good time of year to bring this up because how many people are finishing up, you know, residency and starting new jobs and changing jobs and dealing with the new administration or just administration in general, the administrations is stressed themselves, the patients are stressed themselves, you know, all of these things are just stressing everybody to the max. Um, and then having that self-compassion of like, no wonder I feel like crap. There's like a lot of stuff going on. And then I think it's okay to, to realize that you're on this dirt road because that's, or, or under the bed, under the bed's very safe. I like under the bed. I wish I'd spend more time there. <laughs> hiding, hiding and being angry and all these things, I think, you know, removing that self-judgment of it and kind of stepping back and saying, well, my worldview kind of sucks a little bit right now. I guess I'm just going to be okay being angry. Maybe I'll work on my worldview a little bit, but I think it's okay to be angry too. I really like this whole trauma. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by this now. I've like, I'm going in deep, but because I, I now I see other people's behavior and it's not about them. They're not bad people. That's just their trauma response. And it almost gives For me sure. this, not, not like being separate, but I get to see their action as different from seeing the person, 
which to me is very helpful because it makes me a lot less like snap judgy on it. And I get to be like the word curiosity. I don't have a tattoo. If I was ever to freaking get a tattoo, it would be to like remind myself of curiosity because every time I drop into being curious, I tend to win way better that way. Okay. Curiosity and gratitude. I think, you know, if you're going to like seek any emotion that will help you get out of a bad situation, it's curiosity or gratitude or both. Here, here. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of along those lines. I just thought it was interesting how you pointed out that um, everybody experiences each trauma differently. So how important it is to keep that non-judgmental space, because even if you were in that same room, it's based on your own experiences that you in the past and how, you know, what else was going on and it could be traumatic for them and not for you, you know? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, it's so interesting how people are, are like sensitized, you know, the trauma response is sensitized more so than others where you bring something up and like someone like abs- lose their ever loving crap on you. And you're like, what happened here? And then there's a, like the nice graph that, it, um, oh, here, where they talk about like the, the neurobiology response, like here's like the, the normal, oops, anyway, the other way, the normal response is the linear one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have people are like set off and know things that other people are like whatever the world's burning I'll just figure it out later um you know is like everyone has their like different responses um and I think you know that was a really great way to start it um of just saying like when someone is like starting to act like completely out is is asking them what happened to you rather than you know what's wrong with you because how many times have we go to the patient like oh my gosh them and they're you know like there, there they are again. And then when you start realizing, you know, I wonder what happened to them. And then when you really start looking at what happened to them, you're like, my gosh, how are you functioning? You know, <laughs> like, there's a, there's a primary care doc in my town who probably like seven or seven to nine years ago, we were like having coffee in the coffee line. And he started to talk to me about ACEs. So uh, adverse childhood experiences. And he had gotten really into ACEs, like way before I ever heard of them. And he's like, yeah, it's amazing. I started dressing the childhood trauma in my adult patients and their A1Cs drop and their blood pressure drops and I get them off their blood pressure med. He's like, this is legitimate stuff that we never get taught in medical school. And that's when I'd first heard of it. And now I think back, I'm like, man, that guy was ahead of his time, still ahead of his time. Yeah. And he talked about the whole biological consequences of it. Amazing. Speaking of ACEs, the um, state of California has a surgeon general. I forget her name, but she's a pediatrician who has done a lot of research on ACEs. And um, she has through, um, I'll post this on, on Common Thread, but it's a California healthcare, whatever, something, something website that's a part of the government that has an ACEs, a free ACEs um, CME for any medical professional who wants to take it. It's really cool. It's case-based. Um, I, I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, so it's been really useful for me just in my practice. Um, I also see a lot of kids that have autism, and um, so it's been useful just in the sense, you know, just like kind of being curious about like what does neurotypical even mean, and it can help with just interacting. And I do think that for some people, I don't, I don't know about for me with what I do, but for some people, there's even Medicare reimbursement if you do certain ACEs screening or ACEs interventions. Um, but the CME is free, so that's kind of cool. 
It's in page um, 106 um, where he had the aces. The first is uh, there's like 10 of them. Before your 18th birthday, did your parent or adult in household often or very often swear at you or hum humiliate you, um, act in ways that made you afraid you might be physically hurt? And did a parent or other adult in the household, you know, push, grab, slap, or throw something you ever hit you so hard, marks, or were injured? Um, did an adult, a person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have touch their body in a sexual way or attempt to, to actually have, you know, um, any kind of sexual um, uh, act? Did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, or they didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other or support each other? Did you often or very often feel like you didn't have enough to eat, wear dirty clothes and had no one to protect you, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you? Were your parents ever separated or divorced? Was your mother or stepmother um, often or very often punished, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her, or sometimes often, you know, kicked, bitten, hit? Um, did you live with anyone who had a drinking problem? Um, was a household member depressed or mentally ill? Um, or attempt suicide? And then did a household member go to prison? Those are the 10 things that they talked about with ACEs. Does it count if my son wears dirty clothes and won't change them by his own choice? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I think, I think empowering his decision, I don't think it counts. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's also like a correlation with, um, so this, the Surgeon General of California was on uh, the armchair expert um, a while back, maybe last year sometime, she was talking about obesity too. And all of obesity touches all of us because of, you know, surgical risk and stuff like that. Um, and I think it's some astronomically high percentage of people who uh, have obesity have a history of like however many ACEs, um, particularly, I think, sexual abuse. I don't know this to be certain. I'm just kind of like trying to recall which it recalls executive functioning too so take that for what it's worth um but i find that fascinating because i have a lot of judgment about that with you know trying to do surgery on people and particularly when i was taking care of adults but now with kids even it's like gee whiz i have a lot of judgment about obesity and um I think that's another what happened to you type of question. It doesn't solve the problem for surgical risk, but at least kind of softens things a little bit and maybe helps me take better care of them. Again, it's that curiosity instead of judgment, right? It just creates that space. Um, so this hour flew by, what a fantastic talk. Um, there's five minutes left. I just want to offer space for anybody who hasn't had their voice heard. If anybody wants to say something or tell us your story or anything that there's a lot of people here who've stuck around. So thank you so much for sticking. This is a great conversation. I'll open the floor. And I can't say looking at this chat, I think there's all of us have some element of trauma here. So if nobody else will talk, I'll say this. I say this a lot. Um, you know, with coaching, what we're trying to do is use the model and, and we, we talk about the unintentional or the default model and we talk about being intentional and, 
using the prefrontal cortex to do your planning and all that other stuff. And that's all fine and good. But just consider that if you are in chronic stress or in a trauma response, the system, the system, the, the, the neural freeways that connect your older parts of the brain on that, um, on that graphic that Amy posted, it's like an upside down triangle. Those lower parts of the brain are active in a trauma response or in chronic stress, and you just don't have access to your prefrontal cortex. So trying to go do like intentional models in that time, I kind of describe it as like a form of self gaslighting because you just can't do it. So it's like it's offline. So trying to do something to regulate your nervous system instead, I think is a lot more useful. And if you can just do something, whether it's take a walk, take a bath, rhythmic movement, music, um, you know, there are a number of things that they talk about in the book and then regulate your nervous system first and then go to the intentional part. I think it's going to be a lot um, more compassionate for yourself and uh, easier. I just um, saw something post on Facebook uh, where they were talking, um, I forgot her name, it's Dana, starts with the last name starts with M. They're doing like these um, dances at work, like just a couple minutes of just like free dancing and stuff too, which I'm sure, you know, it's it's that rhythmic thing and and um, really kind of like getting back into the the regulation part. Um, the I think the dysregulation part is, is really underappreciated. And I think that's one thing I took away from this book that I hope you guys do too. Um, one thing to consider, um, and this kind of leads into like the kind of closing remarks here, um, you know, therapy is really important if you can't get past trauma. You know, I think this probably, we, we really, you know, although obviously we advocate coaching because it's so helpful in a lot of ways, but if you are in trauma and you can't get past it, um, you know, this is where a therapist can help. Uh, now, coaching helps when, you know, working with the thoughts and, and not serving you and some techniques about getting some through this dysregulation thing as well. But um, and you can use both at one time, obviously. Um, the Facebook group is very helpful, too, because, again, it's just kind of dropping into these traumatic events in periods that you can tr- control, share with what you feel comfortable with and taking away stuff. Um, you know, that's where these the Facebook community has really helpful helped um room one coaching is really helpful if you want to start dumping out your thoughts and exploring them and moving past them because we really just can't see some of these thoughts that are holding us back um you know and afterwards sometimes you're like well how come i didn't see that before and you know we're really just not not used to seeing our own own thoughts and it takes a while um to do that and even then even when you're like oh i've got this it's you know i kind of give that closet analogy where like before long you look back like how does it get such a mess again um anyway so you know definitely consider you know room one we've tried to make this accessible to everyone kelly is coming up this month for sex and she is you know, we have now have seven coaching sessions here um, uh, in the month of whatever's next, September. Um, and then, you know, we also want to make sure, again, this is really important to us that this is accessible to folks. For those of you who are not in room one, and even those that are, we, you know, another bonus is on Tuesday. We're going to try group coaching so you can see what it's like and see if this is something um, that you think will, will help you in the future, because that's what we're committed to doing. We're committing to um, fixing the system, which is obviously we feel could use some improvement, but we start with ourselves first and we help you as well. And I think that, you know, we we're wise, we change ourselves, and maybe then the system can change too. But our first and foremost thoughts are, are you, you guys um, improving your lives and really just changing the worldview 
um, to really expand to be the best thing you possibly could be. All right. Beautiful, Amy. Yeah. And thank you for sharing, Jess. Absolutely. Thank you no all. Problem. Thank you all for coming. And I really hope that you gain a lot from this and we look forward to talking to you more soon. Bye-bye.